you can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, or it will be on the screen behind me. You can get there on your phone too, whatever you prefer. But so good to be with all of you uh, this morning. If you don't know who I am, if you're visiting today, my name is Joel Repic, and I'm lead pastor here at Crestmont, and I really hope I have the opportunity to meet you soon uh, personally and to get to know you better. Lots of people out today. We have a lot of people on vacation, uh, but we also have a trip going on right now. They left yesterday to the Dominican Republic, so please keep them in prayer. And then uh, very many of you know Jim and Luann Eaton, who are part of our church body, but Jim and Luann and their daughter Maddie are in Ethiopia this week, um, helping to lead a prayer conference there as well. So I love to see our Crestmont family on the move and globally connected. It's really exciting. And it's something that God is doing uh, more and more here at our church. So let's remember to keep those people in prayer. Today, we're going to be looking at what James has to say about the Word of God and its role in our lives. Um, And at Crestmont, we often like to say that part of what we're aiming to develop here, prayerfully develop here, is a word and spirit culture. By that, we mean that we are supposed to be people of the Word of God, Bible people, that we love what the Word of God says, and in it, uh, we get such a clear picture of who God is and His heart and intention toward us and our role in that story that we want to be a people who are about the Word of God. And church, it's just so true. I don't know of any Christian who's been used by God in in a profound way, in a mighty way, Uh, who has not also been a person of the Word, right? Who has not also been a person who's in the Word of God, understanding the Scriptures, understanding what it's about. And likewise, I've never known of a real move of God in a group of people where the Word of God has not been front and center in that, right? Um, If God is at work and is moving, and if people's hearts are really growing in affection for him and his work and his mission in the world, then it makes sense that we would care about what he says, right? And um, he has spoken to us in his word. But we also believe that we are a people of the Spirit, and that the Spirit's uh, ministry is active among us. And so we embrace everything that the Holy Spirit is doing today. And so that's what we mean when we say we're a word and spirit culture. So I really believe today as we look at the book of James, that uh, the Spirit is going to use what James wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit all those years ago to put a deposit into us about what it means to be a people of the Word. So if you weren't with us last week, I just want to give you a quick review um, because we started in the book of James last week. We're just doing a short series, um, just a few weeks in this book at the beginning part of the summer. So the book of James is in the New Testament. Our best educated guess is that the author of this book is the earthly brother of Jesus. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, but Joseph and Mary went on to have other kids, and we believe that James is the earthly brother of Jesus who eventually believed in Jesus himself and then became a leader in the early church as well. Um, He's writing to Christians who have been scattered across the Roman Empire and probably scattered because of persecution, which means that they are suffering themselves. And as they have suffered, as they've experienced both trial and temptation, 
uh, they have stopped growing in certain ways. And a big theme for James as he writes to these Christians is he wants to see them step into the maturity of their faith. He wants to see them abandon immature ways of thinking and doing things. And we said last week that if we were to identify another book in the Bible that is most like James, it would actually be the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And if you know anything about the Old Testament book of Proverbs, it's actually a collection of sayings uh, that emphasize wisdom, just practical, um, everyday wisdom to understand how to live our lives. And James is very similar. It's a collection of short teachings and sayings. And so today we're going to look at some of what James has to say about the Word of God. And I wish we could cover everything he has to say about this, but there's just no way we'd be able to get to it all this morning. So we're going to look at some of what he says in chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 19. It'll be on the screen behind me. And because we're going to be reading out of several passages today, you can stay seated while we read. So I'm going to begin in verse 19. James says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James begins by giving some really practical wisdom to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Probably all of us our lives would be a little bit easier, right? If we took that to heart, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But really what he's talking about is the human problem. And the human problem is sin. The human problem is that even when we read a command like that and we understand it and we recognize it as wisdom, that so very often we don't do it. And James here is saying uh, to get rid of the moral filth that's on the inside, but also so prevalent in the environments in which we spend so much of our time in our society and culture. And then he says this, that's very hopeful. He says to humbly accept the word of God which is planted in you, and he says, which can save you. The word of God can save you. So this is the first thing that I want to say this morning, the first point I want to make, that because God's word is gospel, it saves me. If you don't know what that word gospel means, it just means good news. What I'm saying is the word of God is good news. And because the word of God is good news, it has the power to save us. Now, just for a second, before we go any further, let's look at this passage from a thousand feet up and try to understand even what the word of God is. What is it that James is talking about when he's talking about the word of God? I recently heard this analogy made and it really got me thinking, and then my mind has been mulling it over for the last couple weeks, but maybe this will help us understand this morning what James means when he talks about the word of God which can save us. Um, imagine if I were trying to figure out if you liked to drink coffee or tea, right? And we probably have people who prefer hot coffee and people who prefer hot tea in the room, right? So I'm trying to figure that out. I could try to figure that out just by observing your behavior and trying to make some inferences, right? I could try to understand, you know, I could try to like listen to your language and see, do they talk more about coffee or do they talk more about tea? You know, when they talk about their last visit to Starbucks, what are they talking about? I could try to infer different things, but here's what would be a lot better and a lot clearer is if I just asked you, right? 
do you prefer coffee or tea? And if you answered me, coffee or tea, right? Um, In other words, it would be a lot more clear. I would reach an understanding quicker if you used words to communicate something about yourself to me. Uh, This is something like what has happened with God and his revelation to us. When we talk about his revelation, we're just talking about him revealing himself to us. If you think about it, God didn't have to show us anything about himself, but he loves to reveal to us who he is. And he's done that in a bunch of different ways. One way is in the creation. When we see all that God has created and we enjoy his creation, we can learn something about God. And we might be able, through observation, like me observing your language about coffee or tea, through observation, I might be able to learn something about God just by looking at the creation, right? Just by paying close attention. I might be able to learn some true things. The psalm that we read during worship today says that. It says that the stars pour forth speech, right? We learn something about God through observing and through looking, but it is a lot more clear when God uses words that we can understand to reveal himself to us, to show us something about who he is, And this is what God has done through thousands of years of human history. He has used very human people like you and me to give us divinely inspired words that are actually from God that tell us something about who he is. They are true to his character and to who he has revealed himself to be. So it's a clear picture. But I want you to think about this whole coffee tea thing. Um, I could ask you if you drink coffee or tea, and you could answer. Um, But it's actually possible uh, to know more about a person in relationship with them. In other words, I can know just not that they prefer coffee, but I can know how they drink their coffee too. An example I have of this is in my marriage, right? Uh, My wife prefers coffee in the morning. She's a coffee drinker. But I don't just know that because she has communicated that to me verbally. Joel, I like coffee in the morning. I know it on a deeper level because every single morning I see her drink coffee, right? So she may have communicated that to me in words at some point. I don't remember when we were dating or something. But eventually I saw that her actions uh, gave me a fuller picture of her words, right? And it revealed to me something more true about her. Not only do I know that she prefers coffee, but I actually know how she likes to drink her coffee. It's black almost all the time. She prefers to drink her coffee black. And this, I know the kind of mug she prefers to drink it in, right? She prefers a bigger mug. And she really likes mugs that were made in a pottery uh, place. You know, I don't know if I have... Potterist. (laughs) So one day when I was driving through West Virginia, I purchased her one of these big pottery mugs, and she drinks her coffee out of that every morning. See, that's a kind of knowing that's more than just informational through words. It includes words, but it's deeper than that. It's relational too. And friends, this is exactly what happened. God communicated in words to us. But then he communicated relationally to us in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle John says in John 1.14, I think I have it up on the screen, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. One of Jesus' names 
is the word of God. And we believe that Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And this is God's ultimate communication to us about who he is. For hundreds of years, he had spoken through prophets who had given us written words about who he was. But then if you really want to know who God is, it's not just the words, it's that the words pointed to a person who revealed to us the heart of God clearer than any other even written word could. It was in the person of Jesus that we most clearly see who God is. And this is the amazing thing. When it came time for God to reveal to us who he really was, he sent his son to live a life like one of us. In John, it says the word became flesh. The word became vulnerable. It became possible to hurt the word. And that's exactly what happened. God communicated his love toward us and humanity responded by killing the word of God, by killing the one who was sent. Um, but it's not just that he died, it's that three days later he rose again and proved that he was stronger than sin and death. And here's what this means, back to my coffee tea analogy. It means that not only at some point did God communicate to us what he prefers, coffee or tea. It's coffee, by the way, just to be clear. I'm certain of that, you know. I, have, I mean, have you been reading your Bibles? It's definitely coffee. <laughs> the tea drinkers are feeling so marginalized in the room right now. Uh, we'll pray for you at the end of the service. All right, so, so it's definitely coffee. Trust me on this, all right? Definitely coffee. So not only did he reveal to us what he preferred, but then he showed us that in the person of Jesus, right? And then when we kept giving him tea, even though he liked coffee, right? Jesus at the cross just said, let me just make the coffee for both of us, right? So I'll make it for me. I'll make it for you. You can enjoy the coffee. And then because of the resurrection, uh, what we find out is not just that we are saved from tea drinking. Are you following me on this? <laughs> it's not just that we are saved from tea drinking, but that we are invited into Jesus' coffee house, right? And that in this place, there is coffee flowing for everyone. And we're invited not only to enjoy the coffee, but to give it to others. That's the mission of God. Are you following my analogy? This is the fullness of what it means to say that God has communicated to us in his word. Listen to what I'm saying, because I'm not just saying that the word of God is some rule book, right? Or some instruction manual for living. A lot of people, a lot of Christians see the Bible that way, and nothing will suck the joy out of it quicker than just that, right? Here's what, I mean, here's what I'm saying. The word of God is gospel. It's good news, there's a story that the Word of God communicates to us that culminates in the person of Jesus who revealed to us the heart of the Father at the cross and then invited us into the story and empowered us in his mission because of the resurrection. And really that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. So because God's Word is gospel, it saves me. See, if all the Bible was was a rule book, it might say something true to me, but it wouldn't be able to save me right? But James says that the word of God can save us. And this is why, because the word of God ultimately finds its expression in a person named Jesus who came to save us. Okay, let's look at verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word 
And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This is the point I want to make from this, that because I don't have perfect hearing, only listening to God's word will deceive me. Because I don't have perfect hearing, if all I do is only listen to God's word, it will actually deceive me. Now that is a bold statement that James is making. James is saying it is possible to sit under the hearing of God's own words and to still be deceived. That if all I do is listen to what God says in the Bible, it's actually possible for me to be deceived. How could that be? Well, the problem isn't with God's word, right? God's word is perfect. The problem is with my hearing. My hearing isn't perfect, and this creates a problem in time. For instance, I have a tendency to listen in a hurry, right? To not listen carefully to the word of God. But on a practical level, one place I experience this sometimes is my marriage, right? Like when my wife uh, tells me, you know, all of the instructions that I need to know to watch our one-year-old before she goes out the door, you know? I don't know how Chelsea keeps all of this in her head, you know, all the time. But she just says, you know, this needs to happen here, this needs to happen. She needs to go down for a nap here. She needs her milk here, you know, all this stuff. And if I don't listen carefully, which I almost never, I almost always do the right thing. But I'm just saying, if I, if I, don't, if I don't listen carefully, right, then what ends up happening is Chelsea goes and I end up texting her the whole time, right? <laughs> What's next? What's next? What's next? See, the problem isn't that Chelsea didn't communicate herself. The problem is that I listened in a hurry. It's possible to do that with the word of God. My listening isn't perfect. Or our experience. You know, experience can, be, can help us in listening to God's word, but it also can become a hindrance. And here's what I mean. All of us, when we pick up God's word, we read that book through the lens of some of our experiences, through the lens of our culture, through the lens of our class. I I didn't even realize how much that affected my reading of the Bible until many years ago I lived on the north side of Pittsburgh for a summer. And I remember reading my Bible from a window where I could see the hills of the north side of Pittsburgh in this neighborhood that I was serving and was impacting me for the summer. And I remember just thinking that there was so much of what the Bible had to say about reconciliation, about justice, about his concern for the poor and the oppressed, that I had not really seen until I lived in that neighborhood and started reading my Bible with people who were different than me, particularly African-American Christians. And see, this is one reason why we need each other, right? Because none of us listens perfectly. None of us sees perfectly. Whatever your political persuasion is affects the way you read the word of God. It affects the things you hear from the word. It affects the passages that are highlighted for you. Um, This is why we need each other. Whatever denominational background you come from, in this room there's a lot of people from a lot of different denominational backgrounds. Whatever the earliest part of your discipleship looked like, It affects the things that we hear and see emphasized in the word of God. And this is why, friends, it's not just you, the Holy Spirit, and your Bible. It's you, the Holy Spirit, your Bible, and the community of people that he has put you in. Because as we study the word of God together and put our hearing together, we get closer to what God is actually saying in his word as the Holy Spirit 
leads us. But Jane says something interesting in this part of the passage. He says that only listening and being deceived by the word of God, uh, not by the word of God, but being deceived under the listening of the word of God um, and not doing it is actually like looking in a mirror and then forgetting what we look like. Now, here's the interesting thing about that analogy that James makes. Um, Look, it is true that because I listen in a hurry, I can miss what God is actually saying in his word. I can read the word and still be deceived. Um, It's true that because my experiences sometimes make me blind or unable to hear certain parts of the word, I can hear the word taught and still miss portions of it. By the way, I didn't even mention this, but pride is really the biggest reason that it's possible to hear the word and to have it not affect our lives. Just recently, I heard heard of two stories of pastors um, falling in terrible ways, getting involved in affairs. And one thing I realized while I was hearing those stories is that these men preached the word up until the time they were caught. Do you realize the capacity for deception? It's possible to stand up here and preach the word and in not doing it to be deceived. So listen, all of that is true and all of that might mean that I might get an inaccurate picture of who God is. Even though God has clearly communicated himself, if I'm in a hurry or I let my experience get in the way or I let my pride get in the way, I might get an inaccurate picture of who God is. But that's not quite the point James is making. James says that if we only listen and we deceive ourselves because we only listen, then here's what happens. It's like looking in a mirror and then forgetting who we are. He says it's not just that we get an inaccurate picture of who God is, it's that in time we get an inaccurate picture of who we are as well. There's things about ourselves we begin to not be able to see. It's like like eating a spinach salad and then not looking in the mirror before you go out and hang out with your friends, right? And then not having any friends who are willing to tell you about that spinach in your teeth. Just tell your friend, guys. Come on, just say it, all right? Help a friend out. It's possible uh, to be close to the word and to totally miss things about ourselves. And, And maybe even equally tragically, it's not just that we miss the spinach in our teeth, we miss what's wrong. It's that we miss everything God is saying to us about our identity. It's that we miss everything that God is calling us up to. It's that we miss everything that he is saying that's true about us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous theologian and pastor who was killed by the Nazis in the 1940s, says it this way, the Christian is the man who no longer seeks his salvation, deliverance, his justification in himself, but in Jesus Christ alone. He knows that God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him guilty even when he does not feel his guilt. And God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him not guilty and righteous even when he does not feel that he is righteous at all, right? In the end, it's about what God says about us in his word. Now let's look what James says in 125. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James says, Don't look at the communication of God. Don't look at the word of God in a hurry. Instead, look into it intently. Look into that mirror and let it reflect back whatever it's going to reflect. James is saying, don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you, right? 
Don't just mark up your Bible. Let the Bible leave its mark on you. Don't just study God's word. Let God's word study you. Your motivations, uh, your speech, your actions, everything about you. Let the word of God honestly take a look at you. And when we do, we experience freedom. Because this is my next point. God's word is liberating. And because it's liberating, I'm blessed when I do it. God's word is liberating, and so I'm blessed when I do it. James tells us where the blessing is when it comes to the word of God. He tells us how to experience blessing and understanding God's word, and here's where it is. It's not in the, just in the studying. It's not just in the reading. It's not just even in the memorizing. James tells us that the blessing when it comes to God's word is in the doing of it. It's when we step out and take a risk in faith that we hadn't before that we begin to experience the blessing of the word. This is why James says that this is a law that gives us freedom. It gives us freedom because in light of God's communication to us, which is good news, we become everything that God has called us to be and we are never more free than we're walking in the full identity of what he has called us to be. So look intently into the word of God, he tells us. You know, it's so true, friends. There are so many uh, churches, so many churches, who place great emphasis on studying the word of God, knowing it, understanding it, memorizing it, and somehow it never turns into mission. It's just informational. So many Christians who their knowledge of the word of God has outpaced their obedience to the word of God. Right? But I can tell you this. God, God's communication to us is about his story of love toward us, and so we get invited into that, and it will always lead to mission, right? It's not just about if God likes coffee or tea, right? It's not just about if we can serve him the right thing, right? It's not just about his cup of coffee for us, right? It's that he's opened the coffee shop, <laughs> right? He is on mission, and we are invited into that story. A word-filled church will always be a mission-filled church. The two are inseparable, and there's blessing and joy in experiencing that. Lastly, verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their, in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And this is my last point, that because we're blessed doing God's word, because the blessing is in the doing, we'll get deceived if all we do is just listen. We'll deceive ourselves. But if we listen and obey, if we listen and do, listen and live it, then we experience blessing. And because that blessing becomes part of our experience, then there are new possibilities for us, and not just as individuals, but as a community. It's interesting, in verse 26, James goes back to his instructions on speech. He's saying, look, if you can't keep a rein on your tongue, then the rest of your religion is worthless. Think about this. He's saying that if as a community of people, we can't keep a rein on our tongue, if we're filled with gossip and malice and using our words in ways that hurt each other, the, everything else we do that's part of the religion is worthless, right? The songs doesn't mean anything, right? The services doesn't mean anything. The programs don't 
mean anything if we can't keep a tight rein on our tongue. Now, here's the thing about that. That's a bold statement from James. But there is nothing more, in some sense, there is nothing more traditionally religious than religious people not keeping a rein on their tongue, right? You don't have to look very far to find churches and religious people who can't keep a rein on their tongue. Can't keep it real, right? But this is what I mean. When we enter into the story that God has given us that transforms us, when the word implanted saves us and we get transformed from the inside out, it opens up whole new possibilities for us. There's a sense in which the possibilities are limitless within the confines of God's word. Here's what I mean. We don't do business as usual. We don't Let's talk about each other in a religious context that hurts one another. We find as we join in the blessing of the word of God, which is not just to hear it, but to obey, to do it, we find that there are limitless ways we can use our speech to build one another up. There are limitless ways we can walk in obedience to the word of God and find new ways to encourage each other with our speech. It's a new possibility. Or this, James says that a mark of all true religion is to care for orphans and widows, to look at the margins of society, those who have been left out and left behind, and to care for them. This is not just listening to the word, it's doing it. God in his written word has communicated his heart for the poor and the oppressed. Uh, We saw that lived out in the life of Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we get invited into that story, into that coffee house where the poor and the oppressed are getting served too, right? And so a community that embraces the word of God will be a community on mission to the poor and the oppressed. And limitless possibilities, if you could begin to play, limitless possibilities begin to open up for us. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you today is that Walking in obedience to the word of God is not just about what we don't do, right? It's about our imaginations being awakened within his will to see all that is possible when we walk in obedience to his word. And we know it's the heart of God to care for orphans and widows in their distress. This is a mark of pure religion. That's not just saying there's certain things that we're not allowed to do, right? It's saying that we get to imagine as the Holy Spirit awakens in us dreams what it could look like to embrace the poor and the oppressed, what it looks like to serve orphans and widows. And the options are limitless. Let me tell you a quick story as we close about how this could work out practically. Some of you have heard me share this before, but when I was a college student in Bible college, I got uh, invited to a trustee dinner. Um, The trustees were meeting and they wanted me to say a few words about the impact of the college on my life. So I was happy to do that. And I ended up sitting next to a trustee who had been very, very successful in business for some time. He owns some kind of factory in Atlanta. And I don't remember what they were making. They were making some industrial part that was sent to another factory. I can't remember all of the details. Um, But as he was sitting next to me telling me about his business, then he began to unfold for me this kingdom story of new possibilities. And this is what he said to me. I'm just going to tell you exactly what he said. He said, Joel, um, I'm a business owner and I'm a Republican. He said, that's the way I see the economy. It's the way I see, you know, the economy working best. It's the way I vote. And he said, that's 
you know, how I see the world. He said, but I became a friend with a pastor in, in an inner city community in Atlanta. He said, and this pastor, probably because of his proximity to social welfare programs and the urgent needs of his poor neighborhood, he said he would uh, define himself probably as seeing the economy in a way that most Democrats do. He said, so when it came to the economy, we had very, very different ways of viewing the world. And he said, but God brought us together. There was a long story of how that happened. And he said, we started to ask, how can God use what he has given us to make an impact for those who are on margins of society? And they came up with this really innovative plan. Here's what they did. This pastor friend in the community in which he lived, he began to search uh, the neighborhood for homeless men who needed employment, not just employment, but job training. And he would round these guys up, and then they put together a little mock school to prepare them for the, for the uh, plant that they were going to work in. They'd actually build Mr. Potato Heads because, you know, if no one has taught you how to do some of those practical things, you might not know how to do it. So they created a safe environment where these guys could learn to work and be efficient and safe and all those kinds of things. And when they were ready, uh, this guy who I was talking to owned the factory would hire all of them into the factory. But then he would say to them, look, you can't miss one day of work. You can't miss one day for any reason. If you make an excuse, if you don't do your job, I'm firing you on the spot. And then he would follow through on what he said. And nearly always, when a cohort of these guys came into the factory, within a few weeks, they would all be fired. All of them. But what the guys didn't know was this, that when they got fired and went back to the streets, the pastor friend would go and search them out again. And he would say, hey, the factory is showing mercy. You can come back and have another try. And they would hire all these guys back. They would do it again for a few weeks. And then about half of them would get fired. And then they would go out and search these guys again. The factory showing mercy. Bring them back into the factory. And this time they ended up keeping nearly almost all of these guys. And at the time that I was talking to this guy who owned this factory, his entire factory, including the people who were in management, uh, was being run by people who had come from the streets. <laughs> the entire thing. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because it's a new story. It's a story about how the word of God can open up new possibilities. Look, the word is gospel. It's not just a, a rule book. It's gospel. These guys have been transformed by that story. They recognize that they didn't hear perfectly. That their experiences caused them to see only certain parts of the word. The, the Republican in the equation saw what God's word had to say about responsibility and choice and hard work. And God's word has something to say about all of that. And the Democrat in the equation saw something about what God's word had to say about mercy and caring for the poor and the oppressed. And they brought together what they were hearing out of the word of God to imagine a new possibility. And the blessing is in the doing, right? Friends, I want to tell you, you're not called just to my vision, right? As a pastor here, you're not called just to the vision of Crestmont Alliance Church. This is an age in which the Holy Spirit brings to us the word of God implanted. You're called to whatever God is birthing in you, right? And the blessing is in the doing, and we get to champion that in you. If you'd stand to your feet, and if the prayer ministers would come forward, and Tim is going to close our time together.